Well, greetings in Jesus' name. Good to see you all out here this morning. Before we get started, I would like to just pause for a word of prayer. I know we just prayed, but our Heavenly Father, I just want to commit myself to you as I share uh, what you've laid on my heart. I feel very weak uh, and needy myself and ask for your indwelling spirit that I would not stand in the way of your message uh, or hinder it in any way. Um, thank you for your presence with us, Lord. And for your faithfulness, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, so this morning I would like to begin a series, I don't know how long of a series, but a series of, of messages. Um on the work of the Holy Spirit, a couple of messages ago, or the last two messages that I've shared here, uh, we talked about the Holy, uh, the Trinity. Um, we looked at the nature of God, and that He is a triune God, three persons, and. So this subject of the Holy Spirit felt like kind of a next good place to go. Uh, and I felt the Lord leading me. Um, I felt the need in my myself for a better understanding of, of the Holy Spirit's work. So it's a personal need of mine to, to understand and to, but not just head knowledge, to actually put it into practice and live in the Spirit. So I would title the series, Walking in the Spirit. Um, and that's obviously from the passage in Galatians 5.16 that says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And we'll come back to that maybe in a later message, we'll come back to that um, that scripture. And what's interesting, kind of like Owen was talking about, I don't know, it seems like often messages I'm working on kind of take on a life of their own, and they, they move from where I originally was thinking over into a completely different place. So I was reading Galatians um, not long ago and just feeling really inspired and I said, I want to preach on this. I want to preach on the whole book of Galatians. And we're not going to even get there this morning. We're going to be in Ezekiel. So, <laughs> but we'll get to Galatians eventually, I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> the question I want, questions I want us to be thinking about as we look at this subject of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit as a Christian? What does it look like practically, day to day? How do we experience the truth of this principle that walking in the Spirit 
and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So for starters this morning, we're going to be highlighting scriptures which will hopefully orient our thinking about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do that with looking at promises, the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the title of this morning's message. So I said we're going to be looking in Ezekiel. Um, you can look at, you can turn to chapter 36 of Ezekiel. This passage holds some very beautiful promises for us. Not only promises of a new heart, replacing a stony heart, and a new spirit, which is hopeful, hopeful news for us, because it's what we need, right? But also, it's special to see God's plan. I appreciate this passage because of that we see God's very intentional plan of salvation here presented in this passage hundreds of years prior to the coming of Christ. And I would say that this passage gives me reassurance. It gives me peace when I see God's plan for me And I see his faithfulness for mankind. His plan for redemption that includes not only forgiveness of sin, but freedom from the bondage of sinning. So let's read. I'm going to begin in verse 22. I'll read from the New King James. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations, wherever you went, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. 
Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your, your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. So I say this is a beautiful passage, but it is it is also very severe in in some ways. Um, but it is God's foretelling of what He would do in the hearts of believers, His followers. There's so several points that I want to notice here, and one is that God says that His holy name. had been profaned among the nations by his own people, the children of Israel. And now we know that God is love. He loves mankind. He loves even sinners. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us, but he will not allow his holy name to be profaned, tarnished. And that profanity or that tarnishing of his holy name occurs from people who are called by his name. I'm going to point that out. And this has motivated God's plan for salvation. It was kind of a new thought for me to think about that. But it is so true that if we were a reflection of God's glory, any 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 blemish any um, any sin any evil in us tarnishes his name and so he's motivated to do something about that to clean us up um, to make us holy And so the thought that he gives in the first the first verse there, or verse 22, he says, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but 
for my holy name's sake. He's, he's, he's doing this to preserve his own holiness. And that's repeated. That thought is repeated in verse 32. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known unto you. And that's not to minimize um, God's love for us or his mercy at all. But it's because of his holiness that no one can enter into his presence in a state of sin, unsanctified. We must be sanctified to enter into his presence and a relationship with him. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy, 1 Peter 1, 15-16. Uh, the Amplified reads, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Be set apart from the world by your godly character and moral courage, because it is written, you shall be holy or set apart, for I am holy. <clears throat> And another another thing another aspect of this to just reinforce the the thought of him of God uh, while while loving and merciful someday he will do away with all sin okay because he is a holy God and then holiness will extend be without without bound eternally. But God is motivated by his own holiness to do something about our unholiness. Now the second point I want to notice here in these verses is the witness of God's holy people. Verse 23 and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, where I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Now, to hallow means to keep holy, to set apart for sacred use. And this, this setting apart as holy, God in our hearts, is how it's a way that he has made for us to bear witness of his own holiness. The holiness that God is accomplishing in us is his way for us to bear witness of God's holiness. 
You see, because if we allow ourselves to be tarnished by sin, to continue in sin, then it, it conveys a permissiveness on God's part that he's not serious about sin either. That he's just winking at it. And again, God's serious about holiness in us for his name's sake. So do we desire to be a witness? I often hear people uh, lamenting, maybe. I need to do more reaching out. I need to witness more. Yeah, we do. But if we want to reach the lost souls around us, it must begin in our hearts with holiness of heart. Because, I think Owen even touched on that this morning, um, if we have not experienced it, his transforming work in our heart, we can't be the witness God wants us to be. It must begin with holiness in our heart. And I know for myself that um, as hard as it is to have compassion on others, I, I think having compassion on others is still, still comes easier um, than to have passion about personal holiness in my life. I think that's where the battle is. And so we pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, kept holy. Thy kingdom come on earth, right here in my heart, as it is in heaven. I'm sorry, I misquoted that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my heart, as it is in heaven. We also pray... As the psalmist did, Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. How's that for witness? Being a witness. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Uphold me by your generous spirit. I think this is what it means to hallow his name in our hearts. It means to avail ourselves of his provision, cleansing by the blood of Jesus and his generous Holy Spirit influencing 
renewing our spirit, reviving it, making our spirit steadfast. The presence of the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with joy in his salvation. It says, a response of gratitude bursting from our hearts as we give him his rightful place, preeminence, and yield ourselves to his lordship. Now, third, we come to this amazing work that God promises to do in the hearts of his people. And again, as we look at what he promises here in these verses, I want us to place a special emphasis on who will accomplish it. Uh, Eleven times between verses 23 through 30, God says, I will, and that's significant. I will sanctify my name. I will take you from among the nations and bring you unto your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take your take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I will be your God. I will deliver you from your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it. And I'm thinking here of the fruits of the spirit. I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields. This illustrates the truth that Jonah said from a um, not-so-comfy prison cell. Salvation is of the Lord. And also Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God has plans for our redemption. He will rescue us. He will heal us by washing away our filth, the cleansing blood of Jesus, by giving us a new heart and a new spirit. And then the key verse, verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, I would believe that the Holy Spirit did come upon different uh, various individuals, believers, men of faith in the Old Testament. But this is talking about something to come. 
this is something that wasn't a uh, continual reality for believers of the Old Testament. That his spirit would be within them. And we'll get to more of that that later, uh, probably in, a, in another message. But without God's Spirit <clears throat> in us, we are truly powerless to effect change in our lives, to overcome sin and the carnal mind, the old nature. We can will to do better. We can make fervent commitments. We can make sincere vows. But it turns out that the old nature is not only resistive to our change, but it can become violently opposed to it. It wars against us. It says the flesh wars against the spirit. Our human nature is, is diametrically opposed to holy living. It doesn't like it. And so, with that being the case, without God's spirit, there is no true newness of life within us. There is only a hopeless, endless imprisonment by our own fallen nature. Now, something I want to be very clear to emphasize here. Um, I don't want to give the impression that if we stumble then we must not have the Holy Spirit in us or never had it to begin with what I am saying is that for the Christian there is hope um, we are never never without hope and there will be momentary lapses. Uh, there will even be lost battles at times in our experience. But even then, we can have hope. We can still have hope because he has promised his spirit to sustain us. And that's not something we're doing. That's his doing. He has promised to effect real change in us that flows from his spirit within us subduing our human nature. And I also want to just emphasize that this takes time. His influence that affects change in us takes time. We need to be patient, but we also need to be diligent and committed to warfare. And with those words, my tablet has frozen. That's interesting. Always bring a backup.
No, it's gone. <laughs> uh, it's just easier to read off here. Okay, it came back. Okay, so I guess um, maybe backing up my point here in in, um, in looking at the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so something I would like to to point out is that that when we look at the Holy Spirit and we talk about God's the work that God is wanting to do in us, and again for His own glory. Um, we can't help but look, be confronted by our own need, the problem of sin in our own lives, our own uncleanness. And that would bring us to verse 31 here in this passage. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight. For your iniquities and your abominations, this this self-loathing here, I believe, is is not a a hopeless, self-demoralizing that leaves us in despondency and depressed. But it's it is an attitude of utter abhorrence at sin and evil in our lives. And this is a place that we arrive at only under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Until that light shines into our hearts, we're, um, we're numb to the presence of sin and its effect on our lives. We're not aware of our need. at least not to the same extent that we are once his spirit is within us. So sometimes Christians can become fairly discouraged with where they're at because they see so much need in themselves. Um, don't be discouraged. It is very possible that you're just seeing more of your need or be more aware of your need thanks to his Holy Spirit in you. Um, that should be encouraging. It reminds me of sometimes a, an injury. You know, at first there will be, a, if it's a trauma, traumatic injury to a limb or something, at first there may just be numbness and you, you feel nothing. But eventually, uh, if, it's, if it's a healthy part yet, and uh, reviving, pain will return at some point, and that's usually a good sign, actually. So, this is an essential influence of the Holy Spirit in us, to revive us, to revive in us an abhorrence for sin, 
uh, to see sin for what it truly is, offensive to God, to his very nature, his holiness. Uh, Murray was, I think it was Murray, was talking about uh, light shining into darkness uh, this morning. Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And the light, of course, was Jesus. But the light continues to shine, even after he has gone to heaven, returned to heaven, through the presence of his Holy Spirit, who is right here with us, in us. Uh, Jesus comforted his disciples uh, just before he left. And uh, I'll, I'll just read that from John 16, 5 through 7. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And it's almost like Jesus was I know they didn't understand it then. But I like to imagine that his knowledge of the coming ministry of the Holy Spirit indwelling his believers, called the Helper, he was overjoyed to tell his disciples about this. Yeah, I'm leaving, but something really good is coming. And in a sense even better. I know it's it's easy for me to think, oh, if, if I just had Jesus here on earth that I could follow. <laughs> but how about God's spirit in us communing with our spirit? Moving us, prompting us, and helping us. And then, just continuing on there in John 16, starting at uh, verse 8. And when he has come, Jesus says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Convicting the world of sin, it's an evidence that we already talked about, um, that loathing that we have for sin in our lives because of the Holy Spirit's influence. Convicting the world of righteousness, and this ties back to our being witnesses, right? What are we witnesses of? God's holiness. How are we witnesses of this? Well, by the fruits of his, the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of his spirit. 
What about convicting the world of righteousness um, in a court? A conviction is a formal declaration that someone is guilty of a crime. Um, we cannot live, we know this, we cannot live righteously in our own strength. Nobody can. Um, if there was truly no possible way for mankind to live righteously, God wouldn't be just um, for condemning because we couldn't help it. But because he has offered a way for us to be redeemed and to live in victory through the indwelling spirit, he has made a way for righteousness. And that leaves the world with no excuse. That leaves all of us with no excuse. We're convicted. And then convicting the world of judgment Because our God is holy, he calls and empowers his people to live holy lives so that we can, can enter into his presence. And the judgment is very simple. It's this. Simply separating those who've refused his glorious provision and continued in darkness of sin from those who have received it with grateful, humble hearts and received his spirit. I'm going to close with that. Um, I feel like we've kind of rushed through a lot of this here. But again, the key takeaways uh, from, from what we've looked at this morning is just God will accomplish his work, his perfecting work in each of each one who is willing and submits his heart and responds to God's call and allows God to work. And it is truly God's work. We'll get into our response um, to his work in our lives the part we play in faith um, and obedience. We'll get into that another another message. But none of that uh, takes away from the fact that God has done this work. It's vital. We cannot enter into his presence without holiness. And we can't talk about the Holy Spirit without talking about our own need for holiness, our unworthiness outside of Christ's blood. And so I hope that this message can kind of set the expectation for um, the Spirit's work in our lives. Um, hopefully we can explore that in a future message what it means to walk in the Spirit, responding to and cooperating with the Spirit. Uh, but I just want to focus our minds on the glorious provision that God has made through the indwelling Spirit, the promise of the indwelling Spirit. And um, 
leave us with that for today. God bless you.